Good morning, church. I pray this finds you doing well today, that despite the craziness out there, that you are experiencing the peace of God guarding your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus today. Last week, I asked if you could think of a board game that summed up 2020, what would it be? Well, some of you shared your answers with me, which I appreciate. Uh, Did you know there is actually a board game called Pandemic? I had no clue. Kevin shared that with me. When I asked the question in our in-person service last week, without skipping a beat, our dear brother Ron shouted out, snakes and ladders. And then he said, no, wait, I changed my answer. Solitaire. I think he nailed it. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 13. If there was a board game that summed up this chapter that we're going to look at today, I think it would probably be one of the titles I pulled out last week. Risk, the game of global domination. Today we'll be picking things up where we left off several weeks ago with the last section of this chapter, Revelation 13, verses 11 to 18. Please follow along with me, and I will be reading from the NIV 84 version. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word today. In Mark 13, Jesus was sitting with Peter, Andrew, James, and John on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. And they asked him about signs of the end of the age. And Jesus said this to them, beginning at verse 5. He said, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. And then verse 22, Jesus says, For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to to deceive the elect, if that were possible. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. Well, fast forward roughly 60 years. Somewhere around A.D. 92, John, now the last surviving apostle, a very old man, was banished to the the small barren prison island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea under the orders of one of the very false Christs Jesus warned about. 
the ruthless Roman emperor Domitian, began to enforce the cult of emperor worship, demanding that all citizens and subjects of the Roman Empire bow down and worship him as Lord and God. All citizens were ordered to go to a temple built in his honor, take some incense, throw it on the fire of the altar, and confess Caesar is Lord. But for John and all the other faithful followers of Christ, there is only one Lord, one master worthy of absolute allegiance and worship, Jesus Christ, God's one and only son, crucified and risen from the dead. As a bond slave of Jesus, sealed by the Holy Spirit, John would never bow his knee to anyone other than Jesus Christ. And so for his refusal to worship Caesar as Lord, John was branded a traitor of the empire and banished to Patmos. Well, all of the false prophets and the false Christs throughout the ages that Jesus warned about are the predecessors who set the stage for Satan's two ultimate agents, the Antichrist and the final false prophet, the beast out of the sea and the beast out of the earth. Now back in Revelation 12, John saw the dragon standing in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child, who is Christ, the moment he was born. But the dragon could not kill the child. He fails. Why? Because he has no power over Jesus. As Jesus said in John 10, 18, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And so then the dragon and his forces go to war in heaven against Michael and the angels. But the dragon is defeated again. And so we read, the great dragon was hurled down to the earth, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. And then Satan goes after the woman in the desert and makes war against her children, her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And Satan will do this. That is, he will make war against God's people through the beast out of the sea and the beast out of the earth. And together, these three, the, the dragon, the beast from the sea, and the beast from the earth make up an anti-trinity, if you will. A, a false, blasphemous copy, a, an evil mockery of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The description of the dragon there in, in Revelation 12, is like a twisted imitation of the description of God the Father in Revelation 4. The description of the beast from the sea that we looked at last time in, in Revelation 13 at the beginning of it is, is this twisted imitation of the description of Jesus the Lamb in Revelation 5, which is why he's often called the Antichrist. And the description of the beast from the earth that we're going to look at today in this last part of Revelation 13 is, is an imitation of, of the work of the Holy Spirit. As we saw last time, the beast from the sea doesn't just represent evil political power in general. He is the final ruler of the evil, ultimate geopolitical empire. So who is this beast that comes out of the earth that we read about here and, and what's his role? Well, the fact that John calls him a beast in verse 11 connects him directly to the first beast from out of the sea, except this beast comes out of the earth. 
and he's very different looking than the other one. Look again at verse 11. John says, Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but spoke like a dragon. The beast from the sea is described as having ten horns, which are a symbol of strength, power, as we've seen. And he had seven heads. He's a menacing, destructive force. But this beast out of the earth is is different. He only has two horns and is described like a lamb, which suggests that, that he appears quite harmless, gentle, approachable, attractive, and appealing even hinting at the fact that he might look a little like Jesus in some way. However, he's not what he appears, because when he opens his mouth, he speaks like a dragon. Actually, he speaks like the dragon. More specifically, he speaks for the dragon, with the evil message and lying language of Satan whom he serves. The beast from the earth is the epitome of the wolf in sheep's clothing described by Jesus in Matthew 7, verse 15. He said, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. The Old Testament prophets were chosen, authorized, and empowered by God to speak on his behalf in order to turn people's hearts to God. Well, look again at verses 11 and 12. It says he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. See, where a true prophet of God leads and points people to worship the true God, a false prophet leads and points people to worship a false God, namely the Antichrist here. The beast out of the earth is the final and ultimate false prophet, which is exactly what John later calls him in in Revelation 16 and Revelation 19 and Revelation 20, the false prophet. That's his title. Now, many commentators suggest that this is purely symbolic language for the worldwide system of false religion, some pointing to to Roman Catholicism and, and Pope worship. But a purely symbolic interpretation is is difficult to square with the text itself. The word translated another beast, alos, means another of the same kind as the Antichrist, the first beast. And as I mentioned, this beast is later called the false prophet, which is a personal designation pointing to an individual. In Revelation 19.20, we read that that both the beast out of the earth and the beast from the sea will ultimately be thrown into the lake of fire where they'll be tormented forever. And to be clear, the lake of fire, hell, is a place of suffering for sinners, not systems or ideas. So like the beast from the sea, I think it's best to understand the beast from the earth as an actual person the final false prophet, the the satanic leader of the ultimate false religion which will dominate the world. And it's this, the worship of the beast from the sea or the Antichrist. And though appearing gentle like a lamb, 
He will be masterful, a compelling communicator with a fiery and fatal tongue, captivating people with apparent miraculous signs and and ferocious lies and convincing them to bow down and worship the beast from the sea, leading to death. Now, the primary aim of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ by pointing people to him. Well, like a deprived parody of this, the primary aim of this false prophet is is to glorify the Antichrist, the beast from the sea, by pointing people to him. That is the purpose of this false prophet. He uses all of the power, influence, and authority that he's given to make the earth and all its inhabitants worship the beast from the sea, as we read here in verse 12. Now, we know that the ultimate goal of Satan has always been to be God and and be worshipped as God. It's what he wanted from the beginning. He, He wanted to sit on God's throne in heaven. In Luke 4, Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness by by offering him the whole world if Jesus would only bow down and worship him as God. And the Apostle Paul confirms that this is exactly what the Antichrist, whom he calls the man of lawlessness, will do. In 2 Thessalonians 2.4, this is what we read. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Well, this false prophet is the one who will help bring this about. Verse 12 tells us how. It says, He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and all its inhabitants worship the first beast, look at this, whose fatal wound had been healed. This is key here exercising the full authority given to him by the first beast and the dragon, he will convince the people of earth to bow down and worship the beast as God. How? By pointing back to the apparent miraculous healing of the beast from the sea, the Antichrist, who was fatally wounded by the sword and yet lived, which we saw back in Revelation 13 verse 3. It says this, One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Well, that apparent and astonishing miracle of the Antichrist being healed from a fatal wound is what the beast from the earth uses as part of his call to worship of the beast from the sea. It's what he continually points to as proof of the deity of the Antichrist in order to deceive people and cause them to worship him. But... The false prophet also has some tricks up his own sleeve. He's able to perform his own miracles and wonders to further sell Satan's lies and convince people to worship the beast from the sea. Look at verse 13. We read, He performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. In short, He dazzles them in order to deceive them into believing in and worshiping the Antichrist. And how does he do it? Well, in this case, by causing fire to come down from heaven. In typical satanic fashion, he's imitating the sign God worked through Elijah on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18, where Elijah and the false prophets of Baal have a contest to prove whose God was the true God 
by having him send fire from heaven to consume the altars that they built. This is what we read in 1 Kings 18, verse 37. Elijah cried out, Answer me, O Lord, so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Well, that is exactly what the beast from the earth wants to happen here. He wants every person on earth to believe in and declare that the Antichrist is Lord and God. Again, like a twisted mockery of the Holy Spirit who aims to bring glory to Christ by pointing people to him, this beast wants to bring glory to the Antichrist by making people fall down and worship him as Lord and God. And they will. He will be successful in selling this ultimate lie, as we read in verse 14. It says, because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first, first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. Well, even though the vast majority of people on earth will indeed bow down and worship the beast, the dragon and the Antichrist will be enraged by the fact that Christians those sealed by the Holy Spirit will, will refuse to bow down and worship the Antichrist. Which leads to their final plan to sniff out and hunt down Christians who refuse to bow down and worship the beast. Look at the last part of verse 14. It says, He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Now, God explicitly forbids this in the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 20, verse 4, God said, You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. But this final wicked false prophet will make an idol. He will set up an image in honor of the beast from the sea. But it's no ordinary image. As we see here, the beast from the earth will be given power to make this image come to life. And to bring death. Revelation 13, 15 says, He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. See, this, this image appears to supernaturally come to life, to, to breathe and speak, further compelling it and outright commanding everyone to worship the Antichrist and then killing all those who refused. But that's only the first part of this sinister plan. The second step follows in verse 16. It says, He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. This is, of course, the passage in Revelation that it, it's most famous for. The mark of the beast has probably been the source of more speculation, fascination, frustration, if not obsession, than any other passage in Scripture. 
Here's what we can be sure of. The beasts will control all commerce. They'll command the global economic system and will force everyone, regardless of their socioeconomic class, small or great, rich or poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead in order to buy or sell anything, including food and the essentials of, of life to support themselves, which will make the pressure to give in to the worship of the Antichrist greater than anything ever experienced in history. Now, the word translated mark means engraving. In the ancient world, the, these marks, these tattoos, were, were given to slaves, soldiers, and followers of religious cults. It was a mark of allegiance and ownership. And so this mark of the beast, the mark of his name, is basically his stamp that says, I own you. Everything you, you think and do with your hands belongs to me and will be controlled by me. Once again, this, this marking here is, is a blasphemous imitation of the marking or sealing of the Holy Spirit on the hearts of the elect. In Revelation 7, 3, 7 verse 3, we read, Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Just as God sealed the 144,000 with a mark on the forehead to preserve them from his wrath against the unbelieving world, the false prophet will seal all those who bow down to the Antichrist with a mark of his ownership to preserve them from the Antichrist's wrath against God's people. So then, will the mark of the beast be physical? as in the case of slaves and soldiers being branded, or perhaps in this digital age, could it be an implant to be scanned and tracked as, as many conspiracy theories propose? Some even suggesting that the COVID-19 vaccine could be the mark of the beast, as I'm sure you might have heard. Or is John speaking more metaphorically? Although we can't be certain, I think we have an indication in Revelation 14 verse 1, the very next verse. John says this, I looked and there before me was the lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Now, it's hard to find a, a, a commentator or a single scholar who believes that God's people will literally have the names of Jesus and the father tattooed on their foreheads. This is clearly a way of describing that those born again and redeemed by Jesus' blood belong to him and to his Father and are kept, that is marked, sealed in faith by the indwelling Holy Spirit. So when we read that the false prophet causes everyone who isn't a Christian to have the mark of the beast written on their forehead or on their right hand, first and foremost, this is a sign that they belong to the beast and are loyal to him. The mark of the beast is, is a mark of ownership that represents complete allegiance to and worship of the beast, which means an intentional and blatant rejection of Jesus Christ as Lord for all who receive it. So contrary to, to some of the fear-inducing conspiracy theories going around about the COVID-19 vaccine right now, what the text makes clear is that the mark of the beast will not be taken accidentally, as in, oops, turns out I just got the mark of the beast. 
It will be a deliberate act of worship. So to be clear, the mark of the beast is a mark of ownership intrinsically tied to the worship of the beast, which means the rejection of Jesus Christ. Well, the last two verses tell us that the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name, calls for wisdom in verse 18. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. The call for wisdom has been an intellectual challenge to great, the greatest minds throughout church history. Many have used the practice known as gematria, which connects Hebrew, Greek, and Latin letters to specific numbers, the first letter being given the number value one, and then two, and so forth. And this practice was was widespread in the first century and was used to apply to Nero, Caesar, to Domitian, and, and several others. And down through the ages, similar processes have been used to apply to Napoleon, Hitler, even Ronald Reagan, who had six letters in each of his three names. And and by the way, he even bought a house in Bel Air with the address 666, which he and Nancy eventually had changed. Other scholars suggest that, that this number should be understood symbolically. Look again at verse 18. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. The literal translation of this passage does not use an article. It doesn't say the number of the beast is a man's number, but simply man's number, meaning a human number, 666. Now, as we've seen all throughout Revelation, seven is the number of God, the number of perfection and completion. And six is is one less than seven, one less than complete. It falls short of God's glory. The rabbis thought of six as the number of incompleteness because it wasn't until the seventh day that creation was complete. Well, Satan, along with the beast from the sea and the beast from the earth, who, as we've seen, imitates the role of the Holy Spirit, can never, ever measure up. The best he can do is six. Why three sixes? Because three is also the number of perfection, as in the three persons of the Godhead, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, this counterfeit trinity here, Satan, the beast from the sea and the beast from the earth, desperately want to be God. They want to be worshipped as God, but guess what? They fall short and they fail long. Therefore, three sixes could imply that the beast is completely incomplete. As one commentator puts it, it means failure upon failure upon failure. So is that the best understanding? I don't know. (laughs) Bottom line is, we don't know, not yet. Every generation since Christ has, has predicted that, that they would see these things come about and have made their best guesses about the mark of the beast and his identity, but thus far, they've all been wrong. The point being, there is ultimately only one true interpretation and fulfillment of these things. When it comes to the number of the beast, what seems most likely is is that it will make sense to God's faithful followers in the final generation. They're the ones who need to figure it out and and by the Spirit's leading and wisdom will be able to as all the signs will be in place. The seven trumpets, the rebuilding of the temple, the rise of, of a powerful world leader. 
We don't know if we're that generation. We might be or not. Point is, Jesus told us ahead of time. He warned his disciples of the many false prophets and false Christs leading up to the end so that we could be ready, that we would be discerning, and that we would be on guard as he commanded his disciples. Be on guard. Though they might not be the final version we read about here, make no mistake about it, false prophets and false teachers are at work in greater force today than ever before, my friends. And they are all over the internet, selling theories and lies, many in Jesus' name. And many well-intentioned Christians are, are eating up the lies. So can I just say this? Don't be so quick to go to Google Be quick to go to God in his word. Get offline and get on your knees and ask God for wisdom. Seek it through his word. Search for wisdom as if for hidden treasure, relying not on your own understanding, but on his. Because it is the Holy Spirit of God who leads us into the truth, my friends. That's exactly what Jesus promised. He said, when the Holy Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So, as we reflect on this passage about the beast out of the earth, this false prophet, this anti-spirit, if you will, let us praise God for the perfect power for the perfect person, for the perfect presence of his one true Holy Spirit, the comforter whom he's given us, who not only leads us into the truth and and tells us what is yet to come, he is the mark of God's ownership stamped, sealed on our hearts. He is our deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So, Instead of hypothesizing and then fretting over the mark of the beast and trying to figure out what it is, faithful followers of Christ should be thanking God for the mark of the Holy Spirit and focusing on who he is and submitting to his guidance through God's word and relying on his power to work in us every day. I want to close with these two verses taken from 2 Corinthians 1 and Ephesians 1. And and I just want you to hear these words that Paul writes. Take these things to heart. Meditate on these words as I close. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Now it is God who makes you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And then Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, we read, You were included in Christ Jesus when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of all those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.
receive the Lord's blessing from Hebrews 13 verses 20 and 21. May the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus 
that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you.